those magic words, you've got to be present to win, really made sense to me. You know, if you want to, uh, if you want to be part of this world, you have to be around those people. You have to be able to connect to them, go to lunches, business meetings, all the kind of things where if they call you and say, hey, can you come by today or can you come by tomorrow? You can go, sure, no problem. That's Tyson Leslie. I'm Jamie Green, and this is Trading Fours. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Trading Fours. Hope you're doing well. Uh, I'm doing great. Actually, had a great weekend. Got to play a live show outdoors in front of a real crowd at Governor Stumpy's, and I can't tell you how good that felt. It was amazing to be able to perform again, and uh, people really dug it. It was a beautiful night, so uh, hats off to everybody that came out and saw us. Really appreciate it. And I'm hoping that uh, the world can continue to open up and more and more musicians can get out and play soon. One of the reasons why I want musicians to be out and play is not only because it's great for their mental health, it's also really good for their pocketbook. And I don't know how many of you actually think how difficult it is for musicians to make a living. It's a tough business, man. It really is. And today's guest, Tyson Leslie, we're going to talk about this a little bit because uh, Tyson has a lot of original music. You're hearing one right now. Uh, but during his live show, he also covers some folks on the internet, and uh, he's going to tell you all about how he gets dinged by YouTube and how all this works, and I found it kind of fascinating. I don't think people really think about these things, but bottom line is it always seems like the musician gets kind of screwed in the end. They don't get the money that they deserve, and that's too bad. But uh, Tyson's an upbeat guy. I know a lot of you from Kansas City are going to know all about him. He was here for a number of years and played in a bunch of bands and a bunch of places and just a really good guy and really enjoyed having a time to talk to him and uh, I talked to him he was at his studio in Nashville had a lot of great insight just a really good guy to talk to so without further ado here's my conversation with Tyson Leslie I appreciate time so let's let's start so I want to learn about all these Facebook shows you do Tyson every time I, I turn on Facebook you've got a, a show going on and you <laughs> You've seemed to have it down a lot better than a lot of people. You've got almost like a mission control center, it seems like there. You got like three screens going and you can see requests and stuff. So how'd you pivot to that so quickly? Um, well, I guess part of it is <clears throat> that I, I just collect a lot of gear and, and gadgets and things like that. I'm, I'm a bit of a tech nerd in that regard. So yeah, I've got right now, I've got my TV mounted my uh, mounted to the wall but I've got three iPads running and one 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 phone <laughs> which seems excessive but when you're trying to keep up with so many different pages and stream to multiple sources at a time it's kind of essential because if you don't have all that stuff going on you miss comments and things like that coming from different areas so um, I use one of my iPads for my lyrics, because I, I know lots of songs, but I don't know the words to lots of songs. In fact, I, I think, the you know, back in the old days, I used to have to carry, like, crates of notebooks around. Mm -hmm. And uh, even back when I was playing, like, in Kansas City at Jerry's Bait Shop in my 90s band, you know, this is pre-iPad days, so we'd bring, 
you know, I'd have four notebooks full of lyrics and stuff, and we would organize the lyrics in the order of the set list that we had and try to get through it that way. Because I'm just, I'm really bad at memorizing lyrics, you know. And it's always a contingent uh, argument uh, that you see online and other various places, you know, whether it's cool to use music stands and iPads and things like that. Well, in my opinion, I mean, I saw Nancy Wilson use one, so screw it. I'm going to use one. But also, <laughs> like, I know so many songs, but words are just, I don't know, for whatever reason, they just don't retain to me. That's why I was bad at acting class in, in high school and college. I couldn't remember uh, dialogue very well. And so music comes to me a lot easier because I can hear the relative pitches and the changes and the things like that in my head. Uh, so finding the chord changes to songs is a lot easier than trying to remember words. So I use one iPad for that. And then, um, up on my TV screen, I've got my OBS software, which for those of you who do this, uh, streaming stuff a lot and use it, it, it's basically, I use it to switch between scenes so i've got three different cameras working so you're not just looking at the same scene the whole time and also it allows me to put my paypal and my venmo information on the screen instead of like having it on a paper sign or something like that Mm -hmm. so i just try to make tries to make the whole thing a little more professional looking for lack of better terms no i i think you're totally on that i'm sorry go ahead you had some more too i was gonna say and then the other ones i just kind of watch the stream so I can keep an eye on the comments and the requests and the things that people are asking for, you know, and it's funny because sometimes they just talk amongst themselves, amongst each other. And I kind of get enjoyment out of that too. You see people connecting with, with each other, people from, you know, my hometown in Kansas city, talking to people from Nashville and, or, the, or from Ohio or even from Australia and Germany and Canada. That's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's been really interesting to watch because, like you said, it kind of runs the gamut. You've got folks like you that are tech savvy. And when, when when I've done, we've done two streams for my band and we have the OBS software, but I really lucked out, Tyson. My undergraduate degree was broadcast journalism. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So it helped me, you know, everybody else in the band doesn't have that ability. But fortunately for me, I, I remember a lot of that stuff. But it's 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 interesting watching folks because some folks, you know, they've just been musicians their whole life. And this is a, I think the best analogy I've heard, somebody said, you know, when you you play live, it's like juggling three balls and then you put the video stream and it's a fourth ball that they just throw into it. And you've got to try to keep all of that up in the air. And and like I said, but I was interested in you because you, you seem to be doing by far one of the best ones I've seen. There's some other folks too, but a lot of people it's, it's still kind of rough and I think they're trying to still figure out how to make it work. So I totally get it with the different cameras and, all of that. I got lucky when all of this first started. Um, I was playing in a band called Nash Up here in Nashville. And basically, Chris, the the leader, one of the band leaders of the, of the group, they were doing all this stuff. And so I just kind of took notes, you know, and, and paid attention to how he did it. And because it, it looked good, it sounded good. Um, and, and a lot of the things that I've noticed that a lot of these uh, other streamers still aren't doing, and some of them are, and your better sounding ones are the ones who, you know, connect through like a mixer board and then that goes through an interface which goes into your computer. Yep. Whereas instead of like just playing 
to your phone and using your phone camera microphone and things like that so those little things make a huge difference in how things sound and uh and how things look as well absolutely well i appreciate the time and obviously you have a, a long connection with kansas city what have you been in nashville about what five years now how long have you been in nashville uh, it'll be six years this year yeah so i know a lot of it was about you wanted to kind of amplify your career. I, I think I remember, didn't Tim Finn did an article when you were leaving town and you said you, you, kind, you kind of done everything you could in Kansas City, right? That was the, the thought process. It was a big part of it. I had played every single venue from the dirtiest, crappiest, you know, dingy hole in the ground to Starlight Theater. So, I mean, and, and everything in between. And, you know, the other thing is I played with everybody I grew up listening to and worshiping, and they were my heroes that I'd read about in Bonsai Magazine and every other uh, publication that was kind of out at the time. Um, and, and that's from all different walks of life, from, you know, the guys in Banshee and playing, like, hard rock and metal with those kind of folks and Curtis Anderson. And, he, you know, I used to go see him in a band called the Baloney Ponies back when I was younger. And then I ended up in the band. Um, but also playing like playing funk music and with, with the band called Simplexity and which eventually became Karma. Uh, we, you know, I played with a lot of uh, jazz players and, and, and players of a completely different walk of life. And um, just everybody that I ever kind of came up into, I, I've been, a, I've worked with in some capacity. You know, I remember, the very first guitar lesson I ever had was with a guy named Jeff Sheets. And mm -hmm. that's the only guitar lesson I really have ever had. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then we ended up doing this, uh, like it was, it was the Guinness book of world records. How many guitar players can you cram on to, in the one place playing smoke on the water at the same time. And Jeff was the lead guitar player in that, you know, so it's all those kind of full circle things. And I just felt like I'd kind of reached a ceiling and I was like burned out. I didn't, I was working at How at the Moon in, at, in the Power and Light District and I, and I just, uh, I needed something different and I needed to, to figure out, uh, I was kind of at a, just a crossroads in my own life and personal ways and other ways. And I got this call from um, my old friend, Rich Redman, who plays drums for country, a guy named Jason Aldean. And I hadn't heard from Rich in years and he'd sat in with my nineties band 90 minutes, uh, at the Brooksider one night. And then that was the last time I saw him. And that was, gosh, that was probably 2007 or something, eight maybe. And then I, I hadn't seen him since. And he called me out of the blue in February, 2015. And, uh, basically long story short, he convinced me to move to Nashville, basically said, if, you've got to be present to win. What do you want to do with your career? What are you trying to accomplish? So, um, th those, those magic words, you've got to be present to win really made sense to me. You know, if you want to, uh, if you want to be part of this world, you have to be around those people. You have to be able to connect to them, go to lunches, business meetings, and all the kind of things where, if they call you and say, Hey, can you come by today? Or can you come by tomorrow? You can go, sure. No problem. Instead of, well, I got to get a flight and I got to do all this stuff. And you know, it's in this world, it is cliche as it is. You don't have time to mess around. They, they want to get right down to it. Right. And so I, I came out here to visit and I saw uh, a couple shows and I secured a job 
and I've been here ever since. Uh, we moved out here in June of 2015, and it's been the best move, definitely, in my career, of my life. Yeah, and I, th- I think a lot of people still think of Nashville solely as a country town, and obviously that's still a, a big component, but there's a lot of musicians in Nashville that don't play country at all or that their forte. Yeah, right? I think a lot of it changed, started, you know, there's kind of a bit of a changing of the guard starting around nine, uh, 2010 to 2012. Um, I think just pop music, everything started to diversify quite a bit, just overall, and uh, the, the music industry started changing quite a bit as well and the expenses of living in los angeles had gotten so high that a lot of people had started to move away Mm -hmm. and realized that there's still one of the things that rich said in that phone call that was convincing to me said nashville is one of the last places on the entire planet earth that still treats music in the way that it should be treated and what he meant by that is you know still using live musicians, still using uh, songwriters to write songs and, and combine with them to live musicians as opposed to everything being, you know, what he meant by that is a lot of pop music. L.A. is still very pop, hip-hop, and that kind of stuff, which there's definitely a place for it. Um, but what you find is in L.A., it's a lot of producers with a lot of technology uh, just writing everything from so if you listen to, I don't know, for just lack of any artist, like a Beyonce song or something like that, you're not going to find a lot of uh, guitars or just human element. It's a lot of programming and synthesizers and drum machines and things like that. And they sound great, but that's usually one or two guys that are doing that. Whereas here, you have a song, you, a songwriter brings in a song, and then you hire a bunch of session guys. They come in and they knock out, you know, they might knock out a whole record's worth of material in a day or two and then go back through and do the overdubs and stuff like that. The songwriter does his, uh, or this artist does his lead vocals and or her and background vocals and something. It's done. It's, I mean, the, the speed of and the rate of how fast they turn out material and, and, and records here is ridiculous. <laughs> it's so yeah. fast. It's like the wrecking crew used to be, right? Where they, it's those very people. similar to that, yeah. yeah. So I have to ask, it's one of my college friends, uh, Billy Decker. Do you know Billy at all? I don't. Okay. Uh, okay. He's an engineer in Nashville. He's, uh, so he's, he doesn't, but he just does mixing. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you ever bump into him, tell him I said hi, because he's okay. one of my, my college friends. And he's the same way. I mean, he, he, he came to Nashville because that's where the work was. I mean, yeah. I, I kind of chortle because he's a, a rock and roll guy at heart. Sure. And, I don't, and I don't know how many country number ones he's mixed, but it's a lot. So I just kind of have a little schadenfreude. I kind of enjoy thinking that he has to sit there for hours and listen to country when it's not his, his first love. So it's kind of sure. Powerful. Well, what's funny is, I mean, you know, a lot of these guys from L.A., especially the reason this is perfect for me now, I started the, up this show called Rare Hair, which is a show that we do every three, three or four months where I get all these touring guys session guys and the guys who play down on Broadway, just musicians from every corner of life <laughs> you can find. And we all throw them in a pot together and play all this deep cut, like late eighties, early nineties hair metal stuff from like headbangers ball era. Right. And the reason that works now is because I mean, it's 
again, music and, and the whole thing is diversified so much. And, and the younger people coming in here, they grew up on, on all that stuff. They grew up on, and, and people my age, of course, did too. But you also find a lot of those artists actually live here. So you have, you know, three members of Cinderella live in here, a couple members of Winger, uh, Billy Sheehan from, you know, Mr. Big and uh, uh, all those bands that he's done is here. And then you got your metal guys like Ray Luzier from Corn and, and uh, I mean, just, uh, it, Hailstorm, mm-hmm. uh, Joe and Lizzie are here. And I think, actually, I think her brother, RJ, moved here fairly recently. And all these people, it's surreal. I, you know, uh, Rachel Bowling from Skid Row, like, was one of my very first friends that I met when I moved here. And it's just so funny to be, like, going, going to his house for the first time and eating barbecue at this guy's house and just being like, man, I almost pierced my nose because of you in eighth grade. <laughs> so weird. But and surreal, but it's really cool. It's 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 pretty exciting. That's and really so cool. I'm able to put these shows together and use utilize these people and become, you know, and then having joined an eighties band myself, I played keyboards in a band called Vixen that, you know, had a couple hits probably in eighty eight, eighty nine. So yeah, I remember seeing them. Yeah. seeing them on our Arsenio Hall show when I was a kid. And so now I'm really deep in that world and, and, and playing with my heroes all the time. And it's really, really surreal, but it's really neat to befriend all these people that I grew up listening to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you'll appreciate this since I think you're just a little bit younger than me, but uh, about three or four episodes ago, I had uh, Roger Joseph Manning Jr. from oh, Jellyfish on. God, yeah, I... I want to connect with him really bad. Like, oh my God. I was, I was like giddy, like a little kid. Cause you know, jellyfish, I, th- I think every musician loves jellyfish because how those guys did two phenomenal albums in a row at that age, they were so young. Yeah. Um, and so ahead of their time. And then it just kind of went away and he was super cool, man. I can't say nice. He was, could not have been nicer. He was really fun to talk to. Well, I was in a jellyfish tribute band in Kansas city <laughs> with uh, Scotty McBee and Colby Gow from the Stolen Winnebago's and uh, our friend Justin Collette. Right. So I played the role of, of, of Roger Manning. I was playing keys and percussion and guitar. And uh, man, that was the most challenging gig I've ever done. I mean, it, musically, it's really, really, it's challenging stuff. But vocally, it's singing harmonies I've never even knew existed, you know, and Mm-hmm. And and just trying to understand how they break that stuff down was really complicated, but it was also really fun. Yeah, it's crazy how they were able to actually do that live, right? Because yeah, yeah. one thing I, in the studio, but I studied tons of the live videos so I could do it justice. You know, I watched all these all the stuff I could find on YouTube. Just okay, how's he doing this part, and how's he doing this live, and you know, whatever. And it all made sense, and they did a great job of being able to capture that live. Yeah. And it was fun doing it too. Yeah. Well, his, and the new album that he's doing, uh, you should check it out because it's fun. Oh, dude, it's so good. I mean, I, I listened to the EP that they put out a week or so ago yep. on repeat. And I've been listening to it every, pretty much almost every day ever since. It's incredible. That's great. Well, there's so much to talk to, but I want to be cognizant of your time. So let's talk about, because I've seen you post about this a couple times and I know that you're not the only person. Um, other people have this concern too how YouTube can instantly tell you that 
you thought, I don't know, are you violating the copyright? What are you doing that, uh, you know, and you said last night, I know I saw your post that, that you got dings constantly while you're just trying to play live. So break that down for folks that aren't aware of this. So how does all this work where you're, you're just trying to, you know, eke out a living, perform live, have fun, entertain people. And, and YouTube's got, I mean, their computers are strong, man. They're figuring this out pretty quickly. So tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, I've, last night was unusual in the fact, it was the first time that's ever happened where it wasn't happening while I was playing the show. Um, but as soon as I finished the show, I would say about 10, 15 minutes after my show was over, I was watching all this footage on uh, Facebook from the riots going on in Minneapolis and my phone just kept going ding, ding, like, like I was just getting an email every, literally every 10 to 15 seconds or whatever. So what the hell's going on? So I finally opened up my email on my phone and it was all just YouTube um, copyright notices. Now, what, one thing that I, I'm still kind of learning how it works. Um, obviously there are, like these bots that kind of detect this material. That Now, it, one thing I noticed that will shut you down faster is if you actually are using the original recording of a song. That's going to be different than if you just pick up an acoustic guitar or piano or whatever and play a song. Um, you'll still get a copyright notice. Basically what it's telling you is they're not shutting it down. They're not saying, hey, your, your page is under scrutiny because you're playing cover songs, they're basically saying you can't monetize, make money off of this particular performance. Um, and all of just, they're basically letting you know all monetization of your performance ads that they put on before and after your show are going to the original copyright owner. So that's okay. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not trying, you know, I'm, uh, in fact, that's great. If, if the original copyright owner can make money off of me playing their song, I'm all about it. That's sure. great. Um, now there are certain artists. What I found there, it's, there are specific artists and I don't know if it's the artists themselves or if it's their management or if it's their label or what it is. But for example, a band like Supertramp, if you put up a cover of a Supertramp song, you will actually get a strike against your YouTube account. And if you get three of those strikes on your YouTube account, your account gets shut down. So you have to be kind of mindful of those. In fact, you might even, I haven't done this yet, but you might Google which artists do that so you can be careful about it. Because I, I posted a performance of, and I wasn't even in it. It was just a live performance of a Super Tramp song that we did at a series show that we do here in Nashville called Loud Jams. I put that up maybe two years ago and I got a strike against my account uh, as a result. And I was like, holy crap. And then I noticed uh, the Rick Beato. Uh, if you know who he is, he's a YouTube oh, yeah. personality I subscribe to him. educator. And he, uh, he mentioned also like super tramp was one of those. Uh, and there are a few other artists that are really, really bad there. You know, he calls them blockers and, um, I want to say like Queen is one of them. Prince certainly is one of them. Not as much anymore since he died. Yeah. Uh, 
You know, like, you'd think Prince probably should have had a will in retrospect, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Because he but, went from so controlling everything, and now once you're dead without a will, like it's kind of, you know, how much stuff have we heard of Prince in the last year that we would never have heard? Yeah, absolutely. But even like covers of Prince songs, that you couldn't find them before he died. They were gone. They, as soon as you put one up, they were they knocked them right out of there right away. It was pretty interesting. So that's just something that you, it's kind of trial and error, you know, you, and unfortunately it's the kind of error that could get you in trouble. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I think it's just, and, and this is my take on it. It's a new frontier in a lot of way. And I think it's just been amplified so much because so many people are having to perform online now. Right. So if I was playing at Jerry's bait shop and we played a super tramp song, nobody would give a shit. Cause it's just Jerry. Right. You know, but like you said, they have these blockers and, and for people who don't know, so Rick Beato, he's been a producer and he plays a bunch of instruments and he has this really cool YouTube page where a lot of it's educational where he's trying to teach people like what his big thing is what makes a song great, right? That's what he's known for. Yeah. And so he's just always trying to do it's education. He's trying to teach people like music theory or whatever. And that's what it's in part of fair use. You're supposed to be able to use stuff if you're trying to teach someone as opposed to monetizing it. And right. I know, and I'm going to space on the guy's name, and I'm sure you'll know his name, but Phil Collins, his bass player, the guy with the long beard, the great, he was doing like, how do I play Susudio? And, oh, it, got, okay. and it got blocked. Yeah. yeah. And he's the guy that played the part. Like, it's his part. Yeah, my songs, um, my own songs that I use on my intros and outros all got flagged. <laughs> I'm just like, eh. And so I've actually had to write to YouTube uh, a couple times and say, no, these are my songs. Here's the copyright. Here's, you know, here's the uh, uh, distributor that I use. And you can contact TuneCore or you can contact whoever, you know. Um, I used something else the other day and I got flagged from CD Baby, you know. So it's like whoever is using it, it they're figuring all that stuff out. But I was using my original recordings. And, um, yeah, I... I it's kind of funny that I'm having to fight using my own material on my own stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm going to go on a limb and say, you're probably not getting huge checks from YouTube, right? Like you're not like, I'm not getting any checks right. <laughs> at all. I would say a dime from anything that I've done, which is fine. Cause I don't really do it yet for that purpose. Whereas a lot of people do. But I guess my point, Tyson, is it always seems like the musician, no matter if it's the 1950s with crappy record deals where you didn't make anything to, you know, here we are in 2020. If there's a way to screw the musician out of making the money, it seems like they just figure out a way to do it, right? I mean... Yeah, I mean, you would be... A lot of people would be absolutely shocked how much or how little some of these people that you go see performing in stadiums and arenas you know, behind some of these gigantic country stars, they don't really make any more than the guy that's playing in a bar right down the street from you. In, in a lot of cases, you know. And I won't name any names, but I do know there's a couple guys that I know that played for gigantic stars. And um, they were making 250 a night for years. And they, they actually had to kind of form a mutiny and be like, we're all leaving unless you unless we can renegotiate our deal and they did and it worked out in their favor and it worked and they're still there and that's pretty cool but like they really had to bind together and say look 
we've been doing this a long time and I've, we've not seen any sort of uh, reward for all the time we put into this artist. So let's, let's take a look at this and see if we can redo this. And, and they were cool enough to do that with them, but it, they could have been, it could have gone totally the opposite way. They could have just been like, okay, bye. And just hired a whole new group of people. And I think that happens it, sometimes, right? It totally does because there's, and the thing is, there's always going to be a younger guy or a, a new kid that just moved here from Kansas City or anywhere. Right. It'll take that gig for peanuts for the opportunity to, to say, hey, I played with so-and-so and look at me, I'm playing Kemper Arena or well, Sprint Center or whatever it is. Right. You know, and um, and they don't have kids. They don't have a family to feed or anything like that. So they don't need to make a lot of money. They can go out and, and, and live on that. And that's fine. But if you really, in the grand scheme of things, if you look at it from the outside and step back from it, I mean, there's no, that's absolutely ridiculous that, you know, you're gone from your family or you're gone for days and days at a time and making the same kind of money as, you know, Sean's making from the zeros playing at <laughs> local tap. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's, you know, some of those guys and those like, you know, been doing it for years, they actually make pretty good money and they don't have to go on the road and they don't have to do any of those things. It's kind of, yeah. it's, it seems inverted, you know, a little, shouldn't be that way, but it kind of is that way. Well, uh, real quick, I wanted to ask, so what was 2020 going to look like for you before we all got stuck in our houses? What was your plan for the year? Uh, well, last year was one of, 2019 was one of the best years of my life. Uh, like, it was so incredible playing I mean I, I played with more of my heroes last year and than I ever dreamed I would ever do and it just seemed like we were kind of on this upward ramp of more of those kinds of opportunities and things you know I was supposed to be in Puerto Rico this weekend playing with Dixon and Slaughter and and uh Autograph and all these all those bands and obviously that's not happening and um we were actually going to do another Purple Jam of sorts in Kansas City as well. That's not happening. Um, this year wasn't going to be anything different necessarily. Uh, it was really just more, just more of the same stuff, but just kind of we were trying to write a new record. Vixen's trying to work on and finish a record. And uh, oddly enough, we <laughs> even though we've had more time, we still haven't really gotten a lot of progress done on that because um, we've all just kind of had our own lives. You know, when you're kind of stuck at home, right? all the girls in that band live in various parts of the United States. Our bass players in Florida, our drummers in Detroit, our singer and our guitar player, or well, our guitar players in LA and our singers in Washington. And then I'm here in Nashville. So it's not like we can all just go chill at the studio or at somebody's house and start working on stuff. So for me, um, I'm just trying to use, utilize the time working on other people's material. I, people have been sending me stuff. I've been uh, recording my keyboard parts or whatever they need and sending them that way. Fortunately, technology is available to do that. And then I've been doing my streaming shows. And I've got a new podcast show, not unlike what you're doing right now, uh, getting ready to start up called Let's Talk About Rock. And, we're, and it's essentially a way for me to connect with even further and deeper with some of these people that I've met over the last couple of years 
Uh, so my first guest is going to be Christian from the band Fast Pussycat. Oh yeah. We're just going to keep, uh, we're just going to do stuff like that and talk about their careers and how they got into it. And some of the song, you know, just the typical things you would expect to find in something like that. But um, I can't say that there was any necessarily a big plan for this year. Um, I, I mean, the other, the thing that I looked forward to, honestly, in this year was all the reunion shows that were supposed to happen this year. Yeah, there's a ton of them, man. It looked like it was going to be the coolest year ever for, for concerts. And yeah. now none of them, <laughs> like literally none of them are happening. So, and all of our shows have been, you know, either canceled or postponed or whatever, uh, at least through all the summer. And I think... Uh, we may have some things come up here and there uh, that might happen. I don't know. It's all up in the air right now. It's like you look at one thing and say, oh, well, that maybe that show's still happening. And then you find out a week right. later, oh, never mind, it's not happening. Or I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to say. Just like everything else in our business right now is completely frozen. Yeah, it's really strange, too. And I, I, talked, I talked to somebody about it, and I said, well, my kids, I have two boys that are um, 18 and 15, and they're obviously very disconcerted by this, right? And they're, they're looking for someone to kind of calm the waters a little bit. And they said, you know, has it ever been like this before? And I said, well, it was kind of like this after 9-11, where there was the sadness factor and some of the fear factor. But you could congregate, right? Like, I never can think of a thing where nobody wants to be in the same area together. And so much of, if not all of music, it's not only the musicians in the room together, but the fans in the room. And I certainly know that when I, we've done our two shows, I mean, you're trying to read the people or they're posting on Facebook and trying to interact, but it's a strange phenomenon when you stop a song and it's completely silent. Yeah. Uh, it's just a different, and then, and then the feeds behind you, right? So when somebody's writing to you, well, I was one of the smos making uh, that thing you do jokes last night when you're playing um, that thing you do. Yeah. And, you know, I was typing, I am Spartacus and just being a, a dope. But I love right. that movie. I love that movie. So yeah, that's uh, great. But you know, it's hard to be in that. It's so different. So anyway, I, I think it's it's hard for musicians, and I think everybody's just aching to get back in the room together and collaborating and doing whatever they can. But certainly, you're making the most of it, right? Uh, I've got to. I mean, this is 100 percent how I make my living. Yep. And so it was really like, and it's actually a little bit. Sometimes I, I mentioned this last night. It can be a little bit um, overwhelming when you have this outpouring of uh, generosity from people sometimes, and and and, and people. It's funny because you don't ever know what folks are actually go, going through or how much money they have or whatever. Um, one thing that frequently comes up is, "I'm sorry, I can't give more," and I always tell them, "Never apologize for being generous." You know, like if it's a dollar or five dollars or hundred, whatever it is. Like you're giving to somebody else. That's nothing to apologize for at all. Like it's you're you're being support. Just the fact that you're there listening for me anyway, that means more to me. That than I mean, obviously the money is is great and it and it helps me keep going and feed the family and, and literally puts food on the table. But um, for me, it's this is an opportunity for me to connect with fans, friends, family, uh, on a deeper level and also gain new ones. And so that when all this is over and I start traveling again, I can reach out to, Oh, I mean, I saw, thanks. You know, I, 
can reach out to the people in Ohio or the people in Connecticut or the people that have been tuning into my shows and say, hey, come out to this fiction show. I'll take care of you. You've supported me for the last three months or however long it is since we've been doing all this. It seems like forever, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And let me take care of you. And, you know, and you can, and, and let me meet you. Or in some cases, I've never even met some of these people. And, and that to me is even more remarkable that there's these folks that I've never met in my life that are giving to my family and giving to me. And um, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to let you go. At some point, I'd love to have you back on. We didn't even talk about the fact that, you know, you came over here as a small child. Were you an infant from Vietnam? And that whole, I read your Medium article and it's fascinating. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was nine months old and um, uh, I was just adopted by a Caucasian family out of the Midwest. And I lived in Greeley, Colorado up until 1988. And at that point, my dad got a job in Kansas City and I moved there. Yeah, it's, such, in, it's such a great that? it's a great story, man. It's well, you know, thanks. I think. Uh, well, you probably know this. You know, Irving Berlin, that everybody that, that wrote the song "God Bless yeah. America." He was a refugee from Russia, where there was a pogrom going on. They burned his. I think his earliest um, memory was somebody you know during the pogrom burning his family's house down, and he comes to the Lower East Side, and he be, you know, his name was Israel Berlin. Right. And he changes his name to be more American to Irving Berlin. And he wrote hundreds and hundreds of songs and people don't even know that he was an immigrant. And, you know, we're supposed to be a nation of immigrants. So anytime I hear these kind of stories, I'm always heartened by it because I think that's what makes America great. So, yeah, um, I agree. I mean, I can't, it's as crazy as things are and as crazy as, you know, I made, made a post yesterday about how I thought, you know, this is, we're supposed to be the United States, but we're pretty divided at the moment in so many ways, whether it be politics or or uh, all of the things that people like to argue about on social media and whatever. But at the end of the day, I'm still proud of of our country and who I am and, and that I'm here and, and have the freedoms and abilities to do all the things that I do. And um, you know, I, I love it here. I've, and I've been all over the world and I've, love different parts of the world and I think it's I, I you know like one of my favorite part, places ever that I've ever been to is Barcelona Spain it's so beautiful and so incredible but I don't I, I wouldn't want to live anywhere but here and, yeah uh, so yeah but I think it's amazing that I think traveling is great for people and I think you know one of the things that's kind of a hindrance for Americans is that we're we have an ocean on either side of us right so you don't have that experience like Europeans do where they can go to Barcelona for a weekend or they can go. Right. You know, for us, it's like this huge fight just to get over there. Sure. And I think it, and I think it's always good to have other people's perspectives, right? You grow as a person when you know what other people are thinking. And we get so in that blinders mode where we only want to hear our own thoughts and things. And, and, and I think it's just, it makes us more understanding and more empathetic, but that's my, I'll get off my soapbox Tyson, but that's kind of where I, <laughs> that's fine. So, all right, well, I'm going to let you go. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate you having me on and uh, anything like, I love doing this kind of stuff anyway. It's just fun to kind of talk about different things and see what other people's perspective is on what I'm doing. Very cool. Man, you're super talented. It's a a joy to get to talk to you a little bit, man. Next time you're in KC, I'll buy you a drink. (laughs) Right on, man. Thank you, buddy. Take care, man. Bye-bye.
Tyson Leslie, everybody. Super cool guy. You know, I was trying to figure out why had I not met Tyson Leslie since I know like a thousand people that know Tyson. And then I, I, I finally figured out why. It's because he left in 2015 and at the time my kids were 13 and, and 10 years old. So I wasn't going out much back then because uh, I'd have to like hire, we'd have to hire a sitter. And if I hire a sitter, that's money. Um, so I was kind of out of pocket for a while, and by the time I'm back in pocket, he's down in Nashville. But uh, what a cool guy. What a great story. I love the story of uh, anytime somebody comes to America as an immigrant and makes good. It's such a wonderful, heartwarming story. And um, I'm going to put in the show notes the link to the uh, Medium article. It talks all about his story coming over from Vietnam as a baby. And I wanted to make sure to let folks know, too, that uh, Tyson's going to be doing an all-original show this Saturday at 8 p.m. on his Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch pages. So that's 8 p.m. Central this Saturday, which I can't believe we're into June, but we are. So that would be June 6, 8 p.m. Central. Check it out. He is a really great performer, really good showman. He puts a lot into it. Uh, you will enjoy it. So I'll be sure to do that. So that's going to do it for today's Trading Fours. Join me next time. I'm actually I'm going to go a little further east. We're going to be talking to an amazing jazz guitarist, Ron Jackson, who I met one time when I was out in New York City, and he was just playing in a bar, and we started uh, shooting the shit. Uh, and now I know him a little bit, and I just was on his Instagram live show, and he's returning the favor. He's going to be on my uh, podcast, so be sure to look for that. But until then, go out and support live music virtually, and we'll talk soon. Bye-bye.